Well, as I said, it's good to be with you and uh, I bring greetings from Hambleton Evangelical Church. It's good that we have fellowship together and, uh, uh, and are able to uh, know the Lord Jesus Christ in, and his presence. Well, the title for this evening, as it's got on your sheet, is uh, The Glory of God. The Glory of God. And during this period of uh, different circumstances and, and sometimes for many difficult situation uh, for us, it's very easy, isn't it, for us to look around and to look at our uh, earthly uh, situation and think about how difficult it is to go to work or not to go to work. Um, you know, one of my sons is a postman and he's worked throughout. And I'm sure our farmer friends here, they've been working throughout. You know, but I've got a son who's a builder and he spent 10 weeks at home frustrated that he couldn't get out onto the sites. Uh, and so we can often be um, focused on those sort of things, can't we? But it does remind us, doesn't it? It does remind us that sometimes we need to stop. And we do need to think. And we do need to consider what is going on. And perhaps we need to start looking upwards instead of uh, horizontally, vertically. And to remind ourselves of who God is. What he is like. And what he has done for us. Amidst all those Difficult things we have to face every day. It's about taking that time. And even though perhaps for many of us we feel we've had that time. Maybe for some of us we haven't put it to as good a use as we could have done. So as we continue to face uncertainty. As we consider and think about the pressures that may be coming, I want us to just tonight to look at some things that are spiritual and are close to us as Christians, things that should be important to us. And work out, perhaps, as we go through it, what our motivations are for the way we're behaving, what we're doing the way we're approaching our lives. Asking ourselves perhaps this question, what part is God playing in my life? Well, Christ said in his prayer in John 17, you may well remember it, that his desire, Christ's desire, is that his people might behold his glory. This is what he said, Father, I desire that they also, my disciples, whom you have given me, may be where I am and see my glory that you have given me. Christ's desire is that we might see his glory. John Owen says of this passage, Christ is not concerned that his disciples should merely see how glorious he was but that the beholding of his glory might bring them encouragement, strength, 
satisfaction and blessedness. That's what beholding God's glory should bring to us. So when we think of glory, we think perhaps of words like honour, esteem, worship, and they do encapsulate all those words and many more. But I think that um, Alistair Begg says this about this and I think it sort of summarises things. God's highest priority in the entire universe in all of time is his own glory. Because the glory of God is God's highest priority The glory of God must be the highest priority of mankind and of all creation. God is both worthy of his glory and jealous of his glory. We read that, don't we? As we go through scripture, if you scan the Old Testament, He says this, doesn't he? In Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. And we know that to be the way in which our God sees his own glory. And he demonstrates this graphically. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, verse 23, you may remember the incident where the uh, people from Tyre and Sidon come to Herod and they're wanting him uh, to give them aid and eventually Herod decides to see them. And he says that on the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them and the people were shouting the voice of God and not of man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And it concludes by saying but the word of God increased and multiplied. Now there's this connection The glory of God is his and he's jealous for it. And he deserves it and he's worthy of it. And he will not give it to another. You see, the essence of this is that the glory of God is who God is. It's not what he is, it's who he is. It's how he reveals himself to mankind. The God of glory is full of splendour and brightness and magnificence, excellence, preeminence, majesty, light, power, intelligence, purity and holiness. It is him exalted above all others. He has no comparison, no equal. He is so glorious that he is to be given glory in worship, praise, honour, 
adoration, service, obedience, sacrifice and our physical lives. Because the glory of God is who he is. And we give him glory because of who he is. Now I know this is a massive subject. But what I want to do is just bring down three aspects that perhaps will help us to uh, appreciate who God is. And it's good, isn't it? In times of disruption, in times of uncertainty, in times of our own vulnerabilities, to remind ourselves that there is a God in heaven whom we worship. And we come to him because of who he is. Now, some of these things that we're going to look at, you will know. But it's good to be reminded, isn't it? First of all, some of the attributes of God. Some of the attributes. And of course, the attributes of God are those qualities which are unique to God alone and make him glorious and worthy of glory. The first is he is eternal. In Genesis 1 verses 1 we read, don't we, in the beginning God. In the beginning God. And when we read through and we get to Revelation, we uh, read those verses in Revelation 22 where it tells us that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He created the world and all that he has done, all that he has done, leads up to that point where heaven will be our destination for those who love the Lord Jesus. But he was before Jesus tells us again in John 17, it's a great prayer, you know, to find out who God is and the glory which it belongs to him. When he says in verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Eternal. God is eternal. The triune God is eternal. Before the world was. He's not only eternal is he? He's all knowing. God is never taken by surprise. He knows all. So he doesn't need to go to university or school. He didn't need to uh, have his education and his certificates. He's not shocked by things because he knows all. He 
even before there was a word on my tongue, the psalmist says, Behold, O Lord, you know it all. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare. Our finite minds can't get a grasp of this, can we? The idea that God could know what's in my mind and in somebody else's. But the idea that he knows all about everybody outside of our time and space, our time of our centuries, our lifetimes, from the day Adam was created, he knows all until heaven is a reality for us. There's no escape from that. So he knows our uncertainties. He knows our worries. He knows how we're feeling tonight about what's going on around us. So he knows. He's eternal. He's all-knowing. But of course, he's all-present. He's all-present, isn't he? We read that in... um, Psalm 139, a well-known psalm. Where can I go from your spirit, in verse 7 it tells us. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And of course... That Old Testament prophet, do you remember him, Jonah? Jonah, the grumpy prophet. He thought, well, if God wants me over in Nineveh, I'm going to go the opposite way. Because God will be in Nineveh, and I'll be over here, and he won't find me there. But of course, he hasn't taken this into consideration, had he? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Jeremiah spoke these words. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. So we can't run. And we can't hide. Because everything is as day. To our God. We read that further on, isn't it? It doesn't matter whether it's night or day. It doesn't matter whether it's in the sea or up at the top of the mountain. God knows us. And of course, that leads us on to the fact that He's all powerful. And of course, the Old Testament, as a book, is full of God showing his power, showing his ability to work his purposes out with a sinful nation and with nations who do not believe in him. But it says this in Colossians 1, For by him were all things created that are in the heavens and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him 
and for him. He's all-powerful. And if you think that this is God's judgment, it could be. I don't know. If you think that this is God trying to teach the church something, it could be. But you know, Job, that Old Testament prophet, he knew, didn't he? He knew that God was all-powerful, sovereign, almighty. And we know things that Job didn't know, which was Satan could only do so much because the ultimate power, the ultimate ability to work out providences in the world are God's prerogative. This is the God who we glory in. And we know from Mark's um, gospel that with men things are impossible, some things are impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So are we going to survive these difficult times? We trust a God who knows that all things are possible. His will be done in our lives, in your life, and in mine. So these are attributes, aren't they? Very quickly we've gone through them. Attributes are God's alone. And do they teach us that he, he alone deserves all the glory because he is God alone. But he also has other characteristics, doesn't he, our God? That the Bible tells us about, it reveals things to us. It tells us that our God is a God of love. And the greatest demonstration of that is our Lord Jesus Christ who came, left the glories of heaven, left that right hand place of power and majesty and might and humbled himself to become like one of us. Really hard to imagine. But he came and he walked this earth and he went to the synagogue and he spoke to the people. He knew what it was like to have sand in his shoes and dust in his hair. But he was a demonstration of the love of God for sinners, for a lost world, for lost men and women. And Deuteronomy tells us that in chapter 7 verse 7, doesn't it, that the Lord did not set his love on the children of Israel because they were great and mighty and they were powerful. But he set it upon them because he loved them. 
They love them. And God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And in this is love, isn't it? 1 John tells us this. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. May God have all the glory. That's what it's supposed to well up in our hearts. We're not supposed to be untouched by the truths of these words. They're supposed to well up in us glory to God. There is no greater demonstration of God's love than this. That he sent his son to Calvary for specimens like us. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah, to God be the glory. God is also holy, isn't he? This is a constant theme in the scripture. He's holy. It's the theme of heaven. Shared on earth. A number of scriptures tell us, don't they, about the angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Both in Isaiah, Revelation, we read it in the book of uh, Luke, glory in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The angels knew that God is holy. And they shared that with us through the scriptures. It's one of his characteristics. It's innate to his ability to to live. It is who he is. You cannot separate his holiness from his being. Just like you can't separate his love from his being. Just one other. Just one other thing. And that's about his, his name. The glory of God. His name. His name means something. God's name means something. The Lord God. The Lord. Jehovah. Yahweh. It means something to us. He's not one of many gods. He is the one true God. And you know, during that Exodus period, you remember that Moses asked God to show him his glory, didn't he? Do you remember that? In Exodus 33, Moses said, show me your glory. Now Moses had seen many things. He'd been up mountains with God. God had spoken to him, prayed to him. God had answered his prayers. He'd spent much time with God. But he asked this question, show me your glory. 
And this is what the Lord said. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name. The Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. What was his glory? What was it that passed by? God himself passed by. My glory, because it is who he is. He doesn't take off his glory like a coat and say, here it is. That bit's my glory. God is glorious. And at the name of Jesus, it tells us, doesn't it, that every knee shall bow. At his name. So God's name has been declared to men. Demons knew that name, didn't they? We read about that in the New Testament. And I know this is quite a generic um, a sermon in many ways, thematic in many ways, but we need to get a grasp. And his people should know him. I am that I am. Or I am who I am. I am the glory of God. It is who I am. And finally, I just want us to move on to um, other aspects. The manifestations of the glory of God seen. God revealing his glory. He's saying to us as a world, as his people, even more importantly, this is why I have shown you why you should worship me. My glory has been made clear in the scriptures, in the history. Of the people of God. The visible manifestations of, the, of God's presence. Through his goodness and through his power. Through his judgment and his wrath. Are also part of his glory. They tell us something about why we should worship him. Why we should hold God's glory as our highest ambition, our highest passion. God stepping into the world, revealing himself, that we may see his glory and worship. Five things, very quickly. That's a lot of points we've had tonight. Five, but another five we're going to do. Another five. First one we're not going to cover 
in any real depth. Well, we're not going to cover any of them in any real depth, but the first one is creation. Genesis chapter 1, verses 3. God reveals himself in his creative power. God gives the power to the Son and the Spirit works. The Godhead creating the heavens and the earth and all the animals and then the pinnacle man. That wasn't just God the Father. That was the Godhead. God creating and revealing himself as he declares it in his word. In the beginning, God. And then we can move on. Um, Mount Sinai. We come to Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. God reveals himself. Not visibly, but it says now, the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. The glory of God came down on Mount Sinai. God himself came down. And this signal to all the people of God's presence, the noise, the thunders, the lightnings, the trumpet sounding, the mountain smoking. The people knew God is there. Manifest to men. We have a similar picture, don't we, about the next one, which is at the tabernacle, the temple with Solomon. But the tabernacle, and it says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God himself filling the temple. God himself making his presence known, manifesting himself. That's why it's recorded. It's recorded so that you and I and all those who read this can be assured that there is a God in heaven and he has shown himself and manifested himself to men and women through his word. And I suppose the the greatest manifestation is that of the Lord Jesus Christ himself on earth. The Bible tells us, doesn't it, in 1 Corinthians, that he is the image and the glory of God. We read that in 1 Corinthians 11, in, and in Hebrews we, we know those very well-known verses about God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had himself by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ walked this earth but he was not just a man. He was the God-man, wasn't he? And I'm sure this evening we all believe that he was the God-man. But he expressed in the way he lived, in the way he spoke to people, in the way he dealt with people. He was showing people that he was God. And he was worthy of their worship and their adoration. And it tells us, doesn't it, that he was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He was God on earth. And this final point, I think, is a wonderful encouragement to people like us. People like us who live in the 21st century, who are seeking to serve God, is that one of the manifestations, the visible manifestations of God's presence is that men and women are transformed. Christians, people become Christians. God saves Christians. We are changed. And that's God showing his power and his glory to be able to bring men and women into his family through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that fantastic to hear that that's God's power that enables that to happen? through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us in Ephesians 1, probably verses you know well, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We are those who have been changed, transformed, And it's to God's glory. It's because of his glory. Because he sent his son. Because his son was willing to come. And be the sacrifice for sin. That men and women's lives are transformed. Changed. The glory of God manifest. In our lives. Surely that is a reason for us to give thanks and to come in praise and worship even in these days. I once heard somebody say in a sermon that these are dark days. These are not dark days. They're not dark days. God is on his throne. His glory... uh, sort of shines out like rays across our world and men and women are being saved and changed because the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. So the God 
the glory of God, his eternal being, his holy and loving character, the manifestations of his presence, his being, his character to mankind. To God be the glory because he is glorious and deserves all the glory. This is not theory. This is not, um, if you like, you know, stuff that you can uh, sort of think, well, I'll, I'll learn that in a seminary somewhere. It's not a theory for the head. These things are meant to affect our lives. Dramatically. We're supposed to be radical because we have a God who is glorious and his glory has been shown to us through his Son. God's glory should be our ambition in our lives, worked out by his help. And just to return as I conclude, just to return to John Owen, who declares in his book on the glory of Christ, only a sight of his glory and nothing else will satisfy God's people. It is one of their greatest privileges, both in the world and for eternity, to behold the glory of God in Christ. We should all be praying that prayer that Moses prayed. Lord, Show me your glory. And may we all seek to pray that prayer so that our salvation in Christ, our service of obedience, will be to the glory of God in Christ Jesus for his glory, for his praise. Is that your heart's desire? When you leave here tonight and you're entering a new week, what is your ambition for that week? Lord, show me your glory that I might serve you and know you more. May that be our prayer this evening.